You're listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a jam-packed show. We go through the tumble bit. We go through Italian banks again. We talk about drones. We talk about the NFL, of all things. Lots of stuff to get to. I jam-packed as much stuff in here. As you can notice by the time, this is the longest episode yet. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just going going crazy here. So I'm sticking to the, the format, the, the segments. So we have the bits and pieces, Altcoinville, featured article, and then Flashpoint at the end. So enjoy, and we'll see you at the end of the show. It's in pieces. Okay, let's talk about hardware wallets. Or I guess hardware oracles. They're a different thing. But this was a recent blog post by Ledger, one of my favorite companies in the space. They don't pay me to talk about them or anything. They... Uh, I own a Ledger Nano. Uh, I think that they have very good customer service. They have very good products. So I recommend if you're in the market for a hardware wallet to check out Ledger. That's ledgerwallet.com if you want to go to their website. But they have this blog post about hardware oracles. This this hardware stuff is is kind of cutting edge. There's a lot of talk going on about implementing hardware wallet solutions with exchanges, Um Yada yada yada. This this hardware wallet stuff is of the moment right now. So they they have this post about hardware oracles. So they talk about blockchain applications right now. The things that are being built out to rely on oracles. Smart contracts must rely on oracles. There needs to be a way to symbolize the real world events in digital space. So right now there's software oracles, and most of those are centralized services. Oracles as a service. There's a, they have a link to a, a service called Oracleize in this post, and I've never heard of them. It could be kind of cool. But there's a problem. You know, they're centralized. You have to trust that third party. To get kind of around that, maybe you have a decentralized Oracle where you pull from, uh, or a distributed Oracle where you pull from multiple sources. So if you want to know if the temperature was, 25 degrees Celsius in this certain city on that day because you had a bet or you had some sort of smart contract that was going to initiate at 25 degrees Celsius. Then you know, one weather station might have it at this, but another weather station might have it at this. And so if you want to make sure you're getting the proper information, you could have distributed collection of data and write software based on that. And then you're not necessarily worried about single point of failure on your oracles. So this is good. These are software oracles for certain things. I don't think they, personally, I don't think they have applications with actual blockchain things yet. Um, but th the limitations that they specifically talk about in this article are for very micro instances. So where is this specific container, shipping container? Where is this door, this very specific door, is it locked? Um, is this one engine performing within its standards? What is my heart rate, et cetera, et cetera. So these very small things that don't really have like 
and an API on the internet that you can go and find this stuff at. So what do they say? Well, you need to have some sort of hardware built into that system. So on the shipping container, you're going, you would have a piece of hardware, maybe a little GPS box that, you know, has this hardware oracle on it. And then that hardware oracle can speak to the internet or speak to maybe a blockchain application of some sort that I'm very skeptical of. But, you know, it goes into detail here. There's sensors and anti-tampering. There's private keys all on this hardware oracle that interface with the real world. And then this hardware oracle interfaces with a blockchain application. Again, I think this company is very good. They have very smart people and, you know, they're, they're looking at the future. You can see this company has a bright future because they're thinking about this and really moving forward with this type of thing. And I love it. But I am skeptical of physical assets on the blockchain. I'm thinking about writing a blog post or, or something like that for, for this topic specifically because, um, what I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about it. It's a hard problem. A lot of people talk about real estate on the blockchain or you know, car registration titles of some sort on the blockchain, identity on the blockchain. I don't think those things are going to happen. And because right now there is two forms of consensus, it's like a dual consensus going on. You have the blockchain consensus, which is not rely, does not rely on the real world. And then you have the real world consensus. I can feel my car. I can start it up. I can sit in my car and go someplace. That's physical world. If it gets in a car crash, how is that going to be represented on the blockchain? I don't necessarily want to make a transaction. Maybe it's stolen and I can't make a transaction. I'm going to have to go in and change the blockchain. A thief, a robber, a criminal does not care about the private key that's on the blockchain. And yes, you can have smart locks on your car or your house, but that doesn't guarantee the existence of that item. The blockchain guarantees the existence of my Bitcoin. That private key will have Bitcoin on it, no matter what happens. If someone steals my private key, they now have it, but the existence of that item is guaranteed by the network. And that is not the same for physical assets. The existence cannot be guaranteed by blockchain. So I don't see that those things mix, but that's a larger conversation. Maybe I'll get into that another time. Okay, this next story is not really related to Bitcoin. I'm going to try to tie it back in, but uh, it is a technology story. And this is the new FAA rules surrounding drones. Uh, this, this, the link that I'll put in the show notes is to a summary of the new FAA rules and it's dated June 21st, 2016. It goes into defining a drone, defining the operations of a drone, um, like the altitude it can go. It has to be, stay in the visual line of sight of the operator. Uh, it's, it's defined as, uh, unmanned aircraft weighing less than 55 pounds. Etc. Etc. But the part that I found very interesting was this uh, remote pilot in command certification and responsibilities. It's kind of in section two here. I'll just read a few of these points. Establishes a remote pilot in command position. A person operating a small UAS must either hold a remote pilot airman certificate with a small UAS rating or be under the direct supervision of a person who does hold a remote pilot certificate. 
To qualify for a remote pilot certificate, a person must, one, demonstrate aeronautical knowledge by either passing an initial aeronautical knowledge test at an FAA-approved knowledge testing center or hold a Part 61 pilot certificate other than student pilot, complete a flight review within the previous 24 months, and complete a small UAS online training course provided by the FAA. Two, vetted by the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA. You must be vetted by the TSA. And three, be at least 16 years old. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff in here, but I'm, it's just crazy. Uh, here's some of the responsibilities of the remote pilot in command. They must make available to the FAA upon request the small UAS for inspection or testing and any associated documents, records required to be kept under the rule. Report to the FAA within 10 days of any operation that results in at least serious injury, loss of consciousness, or damage to property of at least $500. Conduct a pre-flight inspection to include specific aircraft and control station system checks to ensure the small UAS is in condition for safe operations. Ensure that the small unmanned aircraft complies with the existing regulation, uh, registration requirements specified in Section 91.203. It, it's crazy! How are they ever going to enforce this? They're not going to be able to enforce this. Never. UAS that weighs less than 55 pounds? I've seen ones that weigh an ounce. Are they, and they fly them around the office, right? Like, are those going to have to be registered and licensed? Do I need a pilot's license to fly one of those things? A decade ago, I got one of these very early kind of uh, remote helicopters for the house, right? Just to play around with. And would I need a license to fly that thing in my house? There's a lot of questions, and I'm sure people have been asking, and the FAA has been clarifying, but by this summary that they published on their website, I would need a certificate for that. They want to squash this. They want total control. And there's even a section in here where they talk about, until we have international regulation, this is what we're going to do. So they're expecting this to be internationally regulated. <laughs> for UAVs to be internationally regulated, drones, it's it's crazy. Um, so bringing it back to Bitcoin, what I want to say is that, uh, you know, if, if there's going to be a high barrier to entry to this stuff, if there's going to be, you know, maybe they're track purchases where you purchase, because you need to have a license to operate these things. So why are you buying them if you don't have a license? So we're going to track your purchases of these things. And... Um, are, is there going to be a market on the dark web for this, uh, on all these dark markets? I think there probably will be. And there definitely will be for add-ons. So if you want to have some sort of, uh, huge scope on there or zoom in camera and, or, you know, s some aftermarket mods, that's going to be available on the dark market for sure. Because there's definitely going to be regulation on that. So anyways, that, that's how I'm going to bring it back to Bitcoin. I thought it was interesting. I, I'm really interested in drones, uh, and 3D printing and obviously Bitcoin. So I think those are the three areas of technology that could be implemented today. And every advance that is made in those areas will have almost immediate consumer facing applications. So, um, that it's very fascinating. That's, that's opposed to VR and AI. I think those things are a, a ways away. But with 3D printing drones and Bitcoin, every innovation is going to have almost immediate consumer application. So, all right. That's it for that one. What's the next story? 
Okay, I wanted to give a quick update on the Italian bank situation. I've talked about this in the past, and I haven't mentioned it in a while, but um, I wanted to just give a quick update to that, because there has been a few recent developments. This is a article from Investment Week. Italy's third largest bank, Monte de Pasci, is was deemed the only financial institution in Europe at risk of suffering losses exceeding its entire capital base over the next three years, while Unicredit, UBI, Banca, and Banco uh, Popolare also produced poor results in the tests. In a bid to speed up the sector's rehabilitation, Matteo Renzi, the country's fourth prime minister in five years, called an October referendum to decide whether to overhaul the decision-making process of Italy's constitution to enable quicker implementation of his reform measures. He also, he already pledged to resign following a no vote. Some people believe the potential for Renzi to leave could create another high risk event for the Italian market, particularly as it could also enable the election of the independent five star movement party, which has been vocal on its support for an Italian referendum on EU membership following the UK's Brexit vote. Political uncertainty and concerns about the financial sector have already dragged the country's stock market this year, with the Borsa Italia down 4% year-on-year as of 15 August. Anyways, um, so that's that's a good article. It's pretty lengthy and actually goes into some of like stock picks and stuff. So if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff, check it out. Let's see. I do have another one here. This one is via uh, Reuters. Again, it's about Monte de Pachi. They are in deep, deep trouble. They have this plan to uh, uh, switch debt or swap debt for equity, which is interesting because isn't that what Bifinex is trying to do? They they created these this debt. They're trying to be good for their debt. They lost this Bitcoin, and they're trying to be good for the debt and switch it into equity. And there's all sorts of legal questions around that. And it looks like there's legal questions around this Italian bank stuff as well. They're waiting on European approval. And this, you know, shows the kind of the subordination of national sovereignty to this European project. Um, I, of course, don't want any sort of national sovereignty either. It's best to have the most local. I want, I want, uh, seven billion governments. I don't want, like, I would rather have 7 billion governments and not maybe a 1,000 governments. That wouldn't be good. So, yeah, I think it's good, though, to constantly try to get it more local. And remember, there, maybe I'll find a link for this and put it in the show notes. There was a uh, referendum in Venice. So, like, the area around Venice is fiercely independent. I mean, they have a very proud history in that region, and they voted to become independent from Italy. This was probably a couple years ago now. Uh, it, there was been, it was at the time that there was a lot of votes like this happening. I think it also was just preceding the Crimea vote when they voted to be annexed by Russia. So anyways, that's, that's an interesting little tidbit in there. Uh, I'm still watching the Italian situation. And if there's any big news, I, of course, well, you'll probably hear about it on, on your, your feed, wherever you get your news from, but I will talk about it here as well. Okay, the next story is Tumblebit. It's a new paper just released by a team from Boston University, and it's titled Tumblebit, an untrusted, Bitcoin-compatible, anonymous payment hub. 
So it's similar to like a coin join or something. It, it plays that similar role in the Bitcoin infrastructure. Uh, I'm going to read the abstract here. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you guys can check it out. The white paper is accessible to all people. I think there, there is, it can get as technical as you want to get, but, uh, you know, I read it last night and it was accessible to me. So I think that most people can kind of understand it, um, especially if they have read other papers in the past. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Let me just go through the abstract here. This paper presents Tumblebit, a new unidirectional unlinkable payment hub that is fully compatible with today's Bitcoin protocol. Tumblebit allows parties to make fast, anonymous, off-blockchain payments through an untrusted intermediary called a Tumblr. Tumblebit's anonymity properties are similar to classic Shamian, I think that's how you say it, Shamian eCash. No one, not even the Tumblr, can link a payment from its payer to its payee. Every payment made via Tumblebit is backed by Bitcoins and comes with a guarantee that Tumblr can neither violate anonymity nor steal Bitcoins nor quote-unquote print money by issuing payments to itself. We prove the security of Tumblebit using the real-slash-ideal-world paradigm and the random oracle model. Security follows from the random RSA assumption and uh, ESDSA unforgeability. We implement Tumblebit mix payments from we implement yeah we implement Tumblebit mix payments from 800 users and show that Tumblebit's off-blockchain payments can complete in seconds. So they say that this is operational. I mean, it's out in alpha. You can go to GitHub and download this. Uh, maybe I'll put a I'll put a link to the GitHub as well in the show notes. Uh, on the first page still, this is still, I think, the introduction uh, under the section Tumblebit Overview. Tumblebit replaces on-blockchain payments with off-blockchain puzzle solving, where Alice pays Bob by providing Bob with the solution to a puzzle. The puzzle is generated through interaction between Bob and the Tumblr and solved through an interaction between Alice and the Tumblr. Each time a puzzle is solved, one Bitcoin is transferred from Alice to the Tumblr, and finally on to Bob. One Bitcoin or, or more, more or less, I think that's just a stand-in value. Um, this is very cool. It's a scaling solution, and like it says, it is compatible with Bitcoin today. It does not need SegWit, apparently. And... Uh, so this is, these, this is an example of scaling, right? These are off blockchain, but these are solutions that are untrusted, decentralized solutions on top of Bitcoin. And that is how we're going to scale this thing. We, uh, right now, uh, scaling the block size debate, I've said in the past, it is going to be huge towards the end of the year. It looks as though... The real news is going to be all the different types of solutions. So maybe throughout this, the rest of this year, we come up with Tumblebit and um, Mimblewimble and, and some of these other things and, and we 
find all of this anonymity, fungibility, and scalability solutions. And we then we spend the 2017 weeding through them and coming up with some sort of user interface, getting them implemented to wallets, et cetera, et cetera. And that will be right in time for um, with SegWit coming, getting activated most likely. So, and, and Lightning Network and Thunder Network. Thunder Network just had a paper. Maybe I'll I'll include that here today as well. So, yeah, this great news. Tumblebit. It's gotten some good reviews from people that I trust in the space. Uh, it's it's really cool. I mean, it's by this team from Boston University. So it looks like you know Bitcoin is moving into academia. It's moving into these computer science departments around the country and the the innovation that's going to be coming out is just going to be mind-blowing so all these people that are worried about core being this evil empire type thing you know this shows that this innovation is happening decentralized it's happening all over the place all point bill Welcome to Altcoinville. This is the section where I talk about all things Altcoin. There's a couple stories I have here, and it's I'm almost tired of the Ethereum Ethereum Classic thing. Um, I I think it's going to reach parity, like I've said multiple times before, and that parity will be I don't know three dollars, maybe one dollar. They're they're both going to near zero eventually, and that that's that's what I have to say about that. But I. I just like to pick on them a little bit. And this newest thing that's out, it's a, I saw it on a tweet from uh, Kyle Torpy. Torpy. He is a author for Bitcoin Magazine. I think other places, one of my favorite guys in the space. He has a tweet that uh, the Kraken CEO, Jesse Powell, uh, seems fed up with everything to do with the DAO and Ethereum hard fork. Let me read this a little bit. Unfortunately, we're not the only ones who thought the bizarre actions of the White Hat group warranted additional scrutiny, said Powell. We're presently seeking approval from other interested parties to let the funds go out to uh, the, 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 the withdrawal contract. When we can't say what's going on, we can probably guess what's going on. I wish I could say more. It's our goal to get the coins back to their rightful owners. The White Hat Group's earlier antics drew a lot of attention that has substantially complicated the matter. So, I mean, he's just pissed off. Ethereum is pissing people off. And this White Hat Group, I mean, people at first claimed they were part of it. Or they at least had very close insider knowledge. They knew exactly what was going on when it was happening with this White Hat Group. And now they deny being part of it. No one wants to be part of this white hat group. No one wants to be part of Ethereum Foundation. They're going to have people leaving left and right. Developers are already leaving. Developers are going to be leaving to Ethereum Classic. They're going to be leaving back to Bitcoin. In the bits and pieces I talk about, Tumblebit. I mean, there's all of this development happening, layer two of Bitcoin. Actual smart contracts that are going to work are going to be on Bitcoin. And so these Ethereum programmers these devs they're going to be going back to bitcoin projects within the year most likely that's my opinion but i can see it happening people are fed up with the dow they're fed up with ethereum they're fed up with the white hat group 
these these people are just digging themselves a hole because they want the fucking money. They don't care about smart contracts. They don't care about the Dow or even their reputation, really. They want the goddamn money. This is a scam. And I mentioned on the last episode about um, Vinay Gupta and that he has absolutely zero qualifications and now he's going on to other projects. Well, then the Bitcoin and Sensor guys did a big interview with him and Vinay couldn't even say what a smart contract is. And then the very, I mean, it was very hard to watch the first five minutes because he just was, is such a, a moron. And then uh, the very end of the episode, I thought it was great. They asked him about mining. What is mining? And he had this long explanation that went absolutely fucking nowhere. And they said, okay, well, that's probably a good place to leave it. Thank you for your time. He looked like a moron. He has no qualifications. Zero. And I looked at his Twitter. He has almost 12,000 followers. Are they all like from Burning Man or something? Because I think he's into that scene. He's into like uh, sustainable disaster stuff. I don't know. He's all worried about a nuclear war. And he's all worried about biological warfare. Everything. I mean, he makes money on scaring the shit out of you and then trying to confuse you with his big words. That's how he wants to make money. Nuclear war is a threat, but it's not that big of a threat. I think the deterrent of nuclear weapons has made the world safe from quote-unquote all-out war. We'll have cyber war. We'll have war that, you know, where the, the they attack maybe water treatment facilities, the electric grid, this and that. But all-out war, where they're dropping bombs on us, I don't think that is in the near future. With the biological stuff, we've had that risk forever. I mean, look at the Black Death. Killed almost a half of the people in Europe. And now we have better sanitation. We have better science. We have better medicine. There is no evidence that a, a, an epidemic or pandemic will necessarily happen. Also, global warming. Are you kidding me? I I have a link that I, I just read this article. I was going to put it in the bits and pieces, but I decided not to do that. It, it was an article about the the Great Barrier Reef. That's Yeah, Great Barrier Reef in off Australia. They were talking about, oh, there's all this bleached algae because the water temperature is getting high. And ha uh, like 70% of the Great Barrier Reef is going to die within a matter of months. That's what they were saying earlier this year. Well, now they, they've done surveys of it with this uh the ground like ground penetrating radar or something whatever from uh airplane they discovered oh, like another 30 percent of the great barrier reef that they never even knew existed they never even knew this whole other section existed and that only like 20 percent of the great barrier reef was affected by this out this uh coral bleach the bleaching of the coral and that's probably just cyclical, most likely. I mean, how long have we known anything about the coral reef? We're just finding like 30% of it right now. How can we ever know that this is, we know nothing about it. And it's cyclical, it'll happen. The climate is cyclical, it's going to happen. You know, there's lots of science now happening with the, the solar uh, effect on weather. Uh, sunspots and solar flares and, and this kind of thing. So 
who knows, man, it's the solar cycle. It's, it's just the natural cycle of the earth. We don't know. But to say it's to sell fear. That's what Vinay Gupta does is he sells fucking fear. I can't stand him. I can't stand him. And people can't stand this white hat group. They can't stand Ethereum. I don't even, <laughs> I'm working myself up for nothing here over Ethereum, but it's just so crazy and annoying and that there's actually people that give it legitimacy still is beyond me. How is it at $11? The price of Ethereum, the, uh, the hard fork Ether. How is it still $11? I will never know. It's probably all market making volume and like whales trading back and forth to each other to make it look good. Who the fuck knows? But it is not worth that. It is worth damn near zero. What happens on Ethereum? Nothing. Nothing happens on Ethereum except people lose fucking money. That's what happens. The lifespan is about over. All right, next part of Altcoinville is going to be talking about Monero. This is kind of gotten headlines. It's a new altcoin. Well, that's not new. It's been around for a while, um, but it's it's gained some traction recently. It's related to Dash and Zcash in that it's uber privacy oriented, but Monero has much less scammy behavior. Dash had an Insta mine, and they have this like uh, a certain portion of their mining goes to marketing. Um, there's also also on Zcash. There's a lot of um, concern over inflation the inflation model the economics of it also they have a pre-mine so th there's there's questions there monero if you ask the developers how much monero should i buy is it a good investment they say no don't buy any only buy it if you need it which in the past no one really needed monero so there wasn't a lot of, of volume but now it looks like people might be starting to use it so this is an article from Bitcoin Magazine by Kyle Torpy. Dark net customers are demanding Bitcoin alternative to uh, alternative Monero. And I'll just read the intro here. The dark web has started to embrace Monero, a privacy conscious alternative to Bitcoin. First, the op operators of SIGINT, a commonly used dark web email provider, decided to host a full node for Monero Lite wallets. Then an eight-month-old dark market called Oasis decided to allow vendors to accept Monero. Finally, Alphabay, the largest darknet market in operation right now, announced the first phase of Monero implementation on their platform. But here is a um, staff member from Oasis, which runs on donations. They made it clear that they're mainly interested in keeping their customers happy. That's why they implemented this. So, quote, users requested the Monero implementation. We wouldn't have done anything without their request. There are tons of other cryptocurrencies out there, and we obviously cannot implement them all. We will always be based first on our customers' feedback. People are requesting Monero because they're worried about this privacy. Right now, until these privacy things get implemented on Bitcoin, which looks to be coming in the near future, 6 to 12 months maybe, these layer 2 things, TumbleBit is out now. You can start, it's out in alpha, you can start using it if you really want to, or at least developing with it. So until these things get mainstream in Bitcoin, it looks like Monero, Dash, and Zcash, those options will be more popular. And according to Oasis staff member, 
Monero was the one requested by users. If you are going to request, uh, invest in an altcoin, Monero might be one to do it because it looks like it actually has use cases. I did see some statistic that the 24 hours worth of volume on these markets in Monero was around $50, and that was last week. But of course, Alpha Bay, it just says they're implementing it. It doesn't say that they're actually accepting it right now. So when Alpha Bay does uh, accept this Monero, maybe the volume will go up. Of course, cover your bases, look into it more, go to the, their website, read their white paper, um, maybe listen to some of those interviews the developers have done on the podcast, on different podcasts. Yeah, Monero looks like it could could be good for the next 6 to 12 months. But once Bitcoin gets their anonymity stuff going, that probably will see a drop in value here. Anyway, all right, that's enough for Alcornville. Let's get into featured article. Featured article. Today's featured article comes via the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, a highly touted and talented quarterback from uh, the San Francisco 49ers, has grabbed quite a few headlines this week. I believe this could be a symptom of a greater political awakening in general population. It's a very rare case of a star athlete actually making us think with a super simple yet powerful act of protest. So what did he do? Kaepernick did not stand during the national anthem in a preseason matchup. He did so as a form of protest to bring awareness to the many injustices apparent in the United States. World leaders around from everywhere have called these very injustices in the United States human rights violations, as unarmed people get killed daily by police in the streets. And Kaepernick highlighted this by not standing for the national anthem. So why this story? It, it's a sports story, but it speaks to sovereignty and governance and things like that that I do talk about on the show. Um, Many of you out there, if you're like me, don't follow sports that much. I probably watched one NBA game and one NFL game in the last three years. If that's you, I don't blame you. I think of sports as the opiate of the masses. People are so busy in the rat race that the one hour a day that they do get to relax, they'll turn on a game instead of reading a book or reading the news. Sports fills a leisure time instead of learning about politics or rhetoric or economics, you name it. Sports also give the media something benign to report on. It's not that hard to report on sports. It's not provocative. But I want to talk about this story because of the segment, specifically because of the segment of society that this protest reaches, and that is the general male population. I have a couple clips here that I'm going to play about this story. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to bring something up. Now, we as society, I guess, we are comfortable with the typical mold of the athlete. They are hardworking, loyal, giving their all on the field. That mold of the ideal athlete is very similar to the mold of the ideal soldier. The ideal athlete or soldier isn't supposed to be a deep thinker. They leave the deep thinking to the coach or general. We do value morality in our athletes, the same as our soldiers, but that morality is given to them as like a team morality or a country morality, the things that you're supposed to value. It's That morality is not supposed to be gained through experience or self-reflection or anything like that. 
It's supposed to be from outside of you. In fact, when athletes or soldiers like Kaepernick espouse beliefs that are not specifically that of their superiors, they are castigated. They're thrown out of their social group. Anyway, that's an interesting parallel that I wanted to mention. Alright, so I have a couple of clips, like I said. The first is Kaepernick, in his own words, after the game, he had an interview. That's pretty interesting. And then I'll talk a little bit more, and I'll go into the next clip. So let's hear that first clip. I mean, ultimately, it's to bring awareness and make people, you know, realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust. People aren't being held accountable for. And that's something that needs to change. That's something that, you know, this country stands for freedom, liberty, justice for all. And it's not happening for all right now. Is there something that's evolved as a philosophy in your mind? And how has this kind of progressed that you make a stand like this? It's something that I've seen, I've felt, um, wasn't quite sure how to deal with uh, originally. And it is something that's evolved. It's something as I've gained more knowledge about you know, what's going on in this country in the past, what's going on currently. Uh, these aren't new situations. This isn't new ground. It's things that have gone on in this country for years and years and have never been addressed, and they need to be. Colin, so are you going to put for you to sit? Continue to sit? Yes, uh, I'll continue to sit. I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. Uh, to me, this is something that has to change. And when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent, and this country is representing people the way that's supposed to, I'll stand. There's a lot of things that need to change. Uh, one, one specifically is police brutality. There's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. That's not right. That's not right by anyone's standards. Colin, so many people see the flag as kind of a symbol of military. How do you view it and, and what do you say to those people? Uh, you know, I have great respect for men and women that have fought for this country. I have family, I have friends that have gone and fought for this country. And they fight for freedom. They fight for the people. They fight for liberty and justice for everyone. And that's not happening. I mean, people are dying in vain because this country isn't holding their end of the bargain up as far as, you know, giving freedom and justice and liberty to everybody. It's something that's not happening. And I've seen videos, I've seen cir circumstances where men and women that have been in the military have come back and been treated unjustly by the country they fought for and have been murdered by the country they fought for on our land. That's not right. I don't understand how it's the wrong way. Uh, to me, this is a freedom that we're allowed in this country. And going back to the military thing, it's a freedom that men and women that have fought for this country have given me this opportunity by the contrib contributions they have made. So I don't, I don't see it as going about it the wrong way. This is something that has to be said. It has to be brought to the forefront of everyone's attention. And when that's done, I think people can realize what the situation is and then really affect change. You think that the scenes are sort of an indictment against police? Uh, there is police brutality. Yeah. Uh, people of color have been targeted by police. Mm -hmm. So that's a large part of it. And they're government officials. They're put in place by the government. So, you know, that's something that 
this country has to change. There's things we can do to, you know, hold them more accountable, make those standards higher. You have people that practice law and are lawyers and go to school for eight years, but you can become a cop in six months and don't have to have the same amount of training as a cosmetologist. That's, that's insane. I mean, someone that's holding a curling iron has more education and more training than people that have a gun and are going out on the street to protect us. Okay, there's a lot in there. Did you notice, though, that he never once mentioned Black Lives Matter? And he only brought up the military when someone else did. He's very well spoken, and Kaepernick has clearly thought this out. He spent a lot of time thinking about this. It was a very simple act that inflamed the conservatives, made them lose their fucking minds. People responded by burning his jersey, calling him foul names, even saying he's quote-unquote un-American, whatever that means. All of a sudden, conservatives are the social justice warriors crying about political correctness. A simple act of not standing has exposed the status in all parties. It's specifically drawn out the conservative social justice warriors. But many people think, this is interesting, many people think that social justice warriors, SJWs, are a liberal phenomenon. You know, centered around feminists, gun grabbers, gay rights activists. All those people are usually left-wing or left-leaning liberals. But being a, a social justice warrior is a statist phenomenon. Any statist can be triggered. Uh, it's not confined to the left or the right. And basically, they're all the same now in the United States anyway. This was a very rare event, and I, I it hit me, it surprised me, because it's so rare. A star athlete standing up for human rights in a very peaceful and provocative way, an intelligent way. Other people have done this in the past, like, or in the, even in the recent past, have stood up for human rights. They talk about human rights and stuff, but they do so in a very accepted way. When they're supposed to do it, in a way that's not provocative. They, they want to do it in a way that, uh, you know, gets them points or builds their brand up not something that is risky like muhammad ali when he stood up about the vietnam war that was very risky it ruined his brand and this is going to ruin kaepernick's brand but it was damn near genius if you ask me kaepernick didn't even have to say anything really just don't stand up and show respect or affiliation to the flag the viewer has to think and they have to come down in support for or against his action. Maybe this activity will spread. I hope it will. Now, it reminds me of my criticism of the Olympics. Uh, I don't get into sports very much because I don't follow a lot of sports. But um, I did talk about the Olympics since it was just since it just happened, um, and it kind of reminds me of that. So, if you're from the U.S. or North Korea, you can't say that I want to compete as an individual. You must compete under a national identity. You force the athlete to represent a nation. All the nation's evils and the nation's misdeeds, every all the baggage of being part of a certain country, you force the athlete to represent that. And in this case, Kaepernick didn't think that that is represented him, so he didn't want to stand for the flag. And that's perfectly fine and honest. 
The state is always there to take credit for the athletic achievements of its population. There is no efficiency gained from that. I mean, if there was a crucifix there and everyone had to recite the Lord's Prayer before a sporting event or after they won a medal in the Olympics, we'd say that's crazy. But the religion of the state is always present. Okay. Speaking of this attitude spreading, the next clip was a huge surprise to me. Uh, I took it from ESPN's first take. Uh, without permission, don't tell anybody, but I did, uh, you know, I'm crediting them with it. Uh, S- Stephen Smith and Max Kellerman, I think those are the two guys, they had a, a great back and forth over a hugely broad range of topics. They used the term that I never expected to hear on ESPN, and that was, quote, the tyranny of the majority. And that's just an example of, like, the deeper things that they got into on this. It's a little bit longer, but as you listen, try to think of the target audience of this show and what it says about the state of the crisis in the United States, the unrest that's happening just under the surface. He's conscientious enough. He studied enough. He wanted to bring attention to it. He didn't drop any bombs on anybody. He didn't shoot anybody. He didn't harm anybody. He made a quiet, personal protest. And for people to react this way in an incendiary fashion, I'm going to agree with my man Sean King for the New York Daily News when he pointed out that's their problem. That's not Colin Kaepernick's problem. I've got more to say, but I definitely want to hear what you had to say, Max. But I don't really have a problem with it. Again, it's not the ideal way in which to do it. But what we must applaud to Colin Kaepernick more so than anything else, he personified what a protest is supposed to be. Colin Kaepernick is forcing you to take sides. That to me, is the personification of what any kind of protest, quiet or otherwise, is all about. And I applaud him for that. But the irony for the people who complain about it, you should stand up, is that if it's compulsory, in other words, if you have to stand up or it's unpatriotic, then if you stand, you're not necessarily showing anything that's patriotic. It's not a choice you're making. It's something that everyone's supposed to do. How is that really an act of patriotism? And when people bring up veterans, which is nothing Colin Kaepernick brought up, he brought up a domestic policing issue. When people bring up, oh, the veterans stand, so you should stand, that's kind of a buzzword. It's a catch-all. Oh, and back off, because when you hear veterans, who doesn't support our men and women in uniform, even if you don't support all of, the poli- all of our foreign policy, we all support our men and women in uniform. If you're dealing with the content of his actual point, he has a strong point to make about his own conscience and what he feels the flag should stand for ideally and whether or not we're living up to our ideals and and whether that allows him to stand up for that or or protest it to bring awareness. The content of his point is, is, is one issue. And then there's the issue of this kind of sense of mass coercion. In other words, you have to stand up for the flag. The thing about the United States of America that makes us different from many other places is not simply that we're a pure democracy. In other words, that the majority rules. It's that we're a republic. It's that the minority is safe, protected from the tyranny of the majority. And that goes for our the way you know our political system is set up. And I like to think that goes for a, our kind of reaction, our social reaction to someone who takes this kind of stand. Whether or not it's popular and you can, and you can agree or disagree or deal with the content of Colin Kaepernick's message, the idea that there should be this pressure to force him right. to conform and behave like everyone else mm-hmm. is anti-American at its core, at, at our very foundation. The, the, the minority is protected from 
in the tyranny of the majority, and here the majority would like to tyrannize Colin Kaepernick into doing something that he doesn't feel is right, whether or not you agree with his point. The, simpler, the, the simpler way to put it is simply this. It personifies what a protest is supposed to be about. You are making a sacrifice here. Colin Kaepernick may very well suffer because of this. This is something we'll get into a little bit later on in the show. He may very well suffer because of this. Here's what it comes down to. People are going to look at this and have to take sides. Mm -hmm. When you take sides, you're going to reveal yourself. When you reveal yourself, the divide, the schism that exists within our, yeah. within our American fabric right now is going to form and it's going to come to the forefront. But to your point about how it's an inconvenient thing for him to do when it's a convenient time to protest, how much credit do you get for it? Although I give LeBron and CP3 and Carmelo all the credit wait, in the world. a lot of credit, yeah. but it still was not going to be an unpopular stance. And they, and they, I, I have a, they probably have a sense of that when they did yeah, it. You that said that is, weeks ago. That this is popular to do. When it's least convenient oftentimes is when it's most important to do it. And the fact that Kaepernick is sorry right now, he's not on top of the world. He's not, he's not a quarterback. No one's saying right now, as, as people did a couple years ago, he has a chance to be the best quarterback ever. They're saying he may not have an NFL future before this. When that's the moment when you make this stand, that's a very inconvenient time for you. Make, to me, making the protest more authentic. But I like it from the standpoint that if you're going to protest, this is the epitome of what a protest is supposed to be. You're supposed to have this kind of impact. Otherwise, why protest? And when you are protesting, if everyone sides with you, something's wrong with that picture. Something's wrong with that. It's not a genuine it's protest not a genuine. in the same way. Okay, I still, <laughs> I still can't believe that type of conversation had happened on ESPN of all places. Now I'm going to try and build a link back to Bitcoin. What does this all have to do with Bitcoin and markets in general? Well, this was a form of protest for Kaepernick. And I think for many in Bitcoin, owning and holding Bitcoin is a form of protest as well. Owning Bitcoin is kind of like a boycott of sorts, boycotting of savings in the national currency, which is the direct means of financing government actions. Um, the reaction and coverage of Kaepernick's protest shows that people in the United States sense something is wrong and they're receptive to a message. I mean, look at ESPN. They're, people are really receptive to, to this message. I see the root cause of many of the wrongs here as money, where I doubt Kaepernick agrees with me, but that's how I'm going to tie this into Bitcoin. The money is the root of a lot of these evils. He might say that we need to hold people accountable instead of that money is the problem. And by money, I mean that it is the form of money that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, money is the root of the problem. Unsound money leads to unsound government. Or That's repetitive, though, because government is unsound already. Without the restraints of sound money, government has no fiscal limits to bad policy. So if they make a bad policy, there's nothing to stop them because they can just print more money. There's no profit motive. There's no loss. There's no risk because they just print more money. The only risk is the ballot box, which they buy off. Corruption can run rampant with unsound money. The people are bought off with largesse known as welfare. 
Business models are built around constant upgrades, programmed obsolescence, as people's wallets are constantly fed by the never-ending well of printed money. People get a check in the mail every month, every two weeks, their welfare checks or their their paychecks, whatever. And so that is building, the business models are built around this type of clockwork like that. The moral fabric of society is eroded as well because people don't have to earn their money. They get handouts from the government for being alive and voting. And that's not everybody, but 50% of people in the United States get some sort of federal assistance, food stamps, welfare, etc. So if you have 50% of the population, I mean, that's most people. 51% would be most people. Um, okay, governments don't have to earn their tax dollars either because they can print to infinity. Corruption, loopholes, and scamming are rewarded in business and daily life and government. The honest work is laughed at. Their policies get more and more self-serving and corrupt. The main worry of government, business, and media becomes pacifying, not benefiting the citizenry. That's all what happens with unsound money. Most people out there don't have a platform or the balls to do what Kaepernick is doing. Bitcoin is a great way for that anyone can protest this system, along with gold and silver. But I do have problems with gold and silver, and I've talked about that in a past episode. So go back and find find that. It's just um, my gold standard video. Basically, uh, in Bitcoin parlance, a gold standard is a gigantic pre-mine where the governments and banks come out on top again. Bitcoin is different. It is a money free of national identity or a national stink. People say Bitcoin struggles from the association with dark markets or drugs. But why doesn't the U.S. dollar struggle from the association with bombing weddings and hospitals, creating ghettos with broken families and rabid crime, killing millions around the world, spying on people everywhere? Owning Bitcoin is a form of protest against all of that. We are choosing to lend our savings not to government corruption, but to technological advancement. We are defunding the corruption. And lastly, I'll end with this one comment. More people will find Bitcoin as a form of protest. It's ethical money because it's purely apolitical. All right. That's all I had to say about that. It might be controversial. I don't know. If you guys have more to add, please do so in the comments uh, or contact me on Twitter, whatever, and we'll, we'll hash it out. All right. Next up is Flashpoint. Flashpoint. This week's Flashpoint is about SWIFT. It's the Global Financial Messaging System. Uh, this is a piece that I found on Fortune, but it's via Reuters. So I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs here. SWIFT, the Global Financial Messaging System, on Tuesday disclosed new hacking attempts on its member banks as it pressured them to comply with security procedures instituted after February's high-profile $81 million heist at Bangladesh Bank. In a private letter to clients, Swift said that new security, or sorry, new cyber th- theft attempts, some of them successful, have surfaced since June, 
when it last updated customers on a string of attacks discovered after the attack on a Bangladesh central bank. So just breaking in here, they updated them in June on a string of attacks after the Bangladesh central bank, and now there's a new private letter that says there's still new attacks. So it looks like SWIFT is under massive attacks, and we haven't really read anything about this, but some of them, quote, some of them successful in that private letter. All right, reading on. Customers' environments have been compromised, and subsequent attempts were made to send fraudulent payment instructions, according to a copy of the letter reviewed by Reuters. The threat is persistent, adaptive, and sophisticated, and it is here to stay. A SWIFT spokeswoman declined to elaborate on the recent uncovered incidents or the security issues detailed in the letter, saying that firms do not discuss affairs of specific customers. SWIFT has repeatedly pushed banks to implement new security measures rolled out after the Bangladesh heist, including stronger systems for authenticating users and updates to its software for sending and receiving messages. But it has been difficult for SWIFT to force banks to comply because the non-profit cooperative lacks regulatory authority over its members. So are they going to push for more authority? Um, I don't know. It looks like they might be blackmailing these banks. SWIFT told banks Tuesday that it might report them to regulators and banking partners if they failed to meet a November 19 deadline for installing the latest version of its software, which includes new security features designed to thwart the type of attacks described in this letter. SWIFT is trying to coerce members into prioritizing cybersecurity by threatening to share confidential information about security lapses that banks want to keep private said Shank Shook, an independent security consultant who advises central banks. Oh, man, this is really bad. I mean, imagine if this was in Bitcoin, like some major exchange was having these constant hacks, and you couldn't do anything about it because it was the system of record. It was what you had to use. Um, of course... I don't know if these banks are losing the money or if they are getting backfilled by uh, maybe the Fed or other central banks. But this is a big issue. And they're just talking about passwords and getting people to install updates. I mean, this system is so archaic when you compare it to Bitcoin. We just talked about Tumble uh, Tumblebit. Now compare that level of innovation and technology to SWIFT. It is ridiculous. And there's no amount of coordination these guys can do in the near term to compete. I mean, we're talking decades. And by the time decades happens, Bitcoin is going to be far and away used by people, used by central banks, etc., etc. So, I mean, there's no way they can catch up. This is just a really bad thing. And I think these Central banks, as this happens, I mean, imagine if, imagine if there's a crypto locker attack, if there's ransomware placed on these central banks. It's obviously easy to get into their systems, crypto locker a central bank, and ask for a hundred thousand bitcoins. These central banks will have to move to bitcoin. They ha will have to do it. And I had a, I talked about in a previous episode the bar, the Barbados central bank. They are looking at possibly being the first bank to actually hold Bitcoin as reserves. We'll see. Maybe by the end of the year. I don't know. 
But if that hap, if these guys start getting crypto lockered, not just attacked on their SWIFT system, but actually their systems crypto lockered, central banks, big banks in these countries, major banks around the world get crypto lockered, game over. Bitcoin is going to be what all these hackers ask for. I mean, do you want to ask for, you know, $80 million or do you want to ask for $80 million worth of Bitcoin? <laughs> that is a pretty easy one. Yeah, I think this is going to continue. It's going to get worse. It's going to drive a lot of these hackers. This is the new frontier for hackers. I mean, they, th this is a honey pot right here. Central banks, big banks, crypto locker on these people. And not compare, compare what they're doing, trying to get people to install updates to where Bitcoin is. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I expect this stuff to continue. Um, there probably will be some leaks, some investigative reporting going on here. This would be very important area. If, if you are independent media out there and you are good at investigative journalism, go after this topic right here. Swift hacks central banks getting hacked this is major news that nobody is covering that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening guys my name is Ansel Linder this is Bitcoin and Markets if you'd like to support the show you can do so on the website bitcoinandmarkets.com that's where you can also find all the previous episodes as well as uh, all the show notes we're also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes you can get a hold of me via Twitter, at Ansel Lindner, or on the website. Thanks again. See you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Please like, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.